On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Marillion's An Hour Before It's Dark. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Tom Corcoran and hopefully later on Paul Zotter as we cover Marillion's latest, An Hour Before It's Dark. All right, gentlemen. So here we are, ready to uh, continue on with our sort of, you know, more recent, less historical segment of the palaver. And tonight we have before us the latest Marillion record, which is only at this point six months old, which is a relative baby for what we normally talk about here on the Palaver. And of course, I'm talking about the the latest offering, An Hour Before It's Dark. Um, interesting sort of side note with regards to this. So, you know, you guys know and, and listeners to the Palaver know that I do a lot of my listening homework on the drive back and forth between College Station and Fort Worth. And when this album came out in March, I did the pre-order. I got the signed versions of both the CD and the vinyl because that's the way I roll. And um, But of course, when it came time to actually do this particular record, uh, for whatever reason, I have squirreled away the CD in some sort of safe location so it would be protected from harm, and I can't for the life of me, remember where that is. So I was without the actual CD for my drive, which was a bit of a bummer. Now, obviously, there are other ways I can listen to it, so not a big problem, and I was able to do my listening. But for my driving, I had to find something else to listen to. So I I got kind of a smattering of of CDs that I wanted to listen to, as well as a, a podcast or two, that I needed to catch up on, but I wanted to sort of get myself in the Marillion mood. And so I semi-randomly picked out two CDs, um, both of which are aging exceptionally well. The first one I pulled out was Afraid of Sunlight, which it's no surprise that is absolutely delightful and delicious because it's always been delightful and delicious. And after not listening to it for, I don't know, probably the better part of a year, it was very refreshing to get back into it. Oh my God, that record is just sublime. Um, it somehow it's, it's better than the last time I listened to it. But the other one, and, and I haven't even finished it all yet. I've been sort of listening to it, driving back and forth to work. Um, this week. But the other one that I got that has really, really surprised me is Anarachnophobia. Mm. I have been absolutely blown away 
by my reaction to anarachnophobia after a long time away and spending some quality time with you know, an hour before it's dark, I've listened, you know, in between the time I last listened to Anarachnophobia, listened to Fear a lot, um, you know, I've sort of listened to Marbles a couple times, but I was like, you know, let's, let's see how this goes. And I am impressed beyond measure, certainly more than I ever have been before, with, with that record. So, you know, I, I, I'm not really sure what that means. I just thought it was sort of a fun little tangent that I would throw out here in the beginning. Typically, that's Merillion.com. For me, I I haven't quite had that revelation with anarachnophobia, but I'm glad that that experience is there if I'm willing and open. Yeah, it it really is. Um, you know, like I said, there were there were always a couple songs that I really really liked, but I'm I'm enjoying every last second of it. Um, much more than I ever have previously, and in some ways on a different level than previous. So definitely, uh, definitely out there. Now, Anaracta, actually, Anaractophobia is, is really more my speed. I, I, I love that album. I love, I mean, uh, Merillion writes great, I'm going to call them pop songs, or they're, they're not really pop songs, but more like pop-ish songs. And um, there's a lot of them on that album that work. The same with um, Holidays in Eden. And uh, th- those two albums in particular have r- really good mixes of sort of their um, popular sensibilities mixed with Prague that I actually love. Funny you should bring that up, Tom, because as I was doing some research for this, specifically looking for the lyrics, I found myself on Marillion.com only to find out that they are now offering a super deluxe remixed vinyl version of Holidays in Eden, which mm. carries a pretty steep price tag, but I'm fairly certain that I'm going to have purchased it by the next time we talk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It, uh, yeah, should, should be good. Completely unrelated, Ken. Um, I saw something today that got me all excited as well. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it but apparently there is a a semi-famous recording from duran duran live at the hammersmith in 82 i believe it that is going to be offered on as a record uh, store day purchase on gold vinyl Mm. so that one's going to show up in my house as well completely beside the point and they are um, they're touting a location to be disclosed Marillion weekend in North America right around my birthday in 2023. So, <laughs> whoa, whoa. It might be time to finally pull the trigger and experience another Marillion weekend. We shall see. So, wh- while we were, uh, while we're talking about holidays and eating real quick, um, during my findings uh, over the last couple of days with the different interviews, uh, are you guys familiar with the very early years being remixed? And, and what's that about? I mean, I, I just uh, um, saw an interview with, with uh, Mr. Rothery, and he was talking about, in particular, Fugazi being remixed. Oh, and, you know, man. Talking about, and talking about a lot of the early albums 
even Seasons End um, being being remixed. Um, and so I don't know how I feel about that, and that's maybe a discussion for another uh, episode of the podcast, but I just wanted to throw that out there to see if you guys have heard about it and even heard any of that because I, I'm really on the fence about stuff like that, but I do, you know, curiosity kills the cat. I really want to, I really want to hear it. I actually own the remixed Fugazi and it is mind blowing, Tom. Really? It is. It's almost an entirely different album. I'm not going to say it's bad, it, but it's, it's definitely a noticeable remix. It is as I recall, it's very, very different. So, Joe, did you have you talked about this at all? Because I mean, I feel that we should have discussed this on an earlier date. I, I'm like, <laughs> um, I want to listen to that right this second. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as we're done, Tom, I recommend you go find it and listen to it. But I mean, yeah. So they've got this 2022 remix of Holidays Needin'. So yeah, they're doing all of this stuff. It's. Uh, I would love to hear the remix of Seasons End. I think that would be something. Yeah, uh, he was he was talking about that. He was he was very happy with it. Cool. Um, so all right, but okay. all of that is somewhat beside the point. As we're here to talk about an hour before it's dark, I find it interesting in the lead up to this. Um, some of the chatter on the on the text that we've been having here suggests. Um, and and I don't. You guys can can tell me when I've been reading this. I've been feeling, I've been reading it as trepidation on your part. Like there's there's some sort of of issue with getting into this record that um, I myself had some difficulty sort of just forcing myself to listen to it. It's not that I didn't like it. I just I wasn't particularly motivated to listen to it but once i sat down for the palaver to to do that this album became pretty obvious to me in a lot of ways and so i'm i'm curious am i reading you guys right like is there some sort of of issue getting into it or or what what's what's maybe some of the feeling here before we get into the record itself tom do you want to go (laughs) (laughs) ken likes putting me on the spot sure um Listen, there have been a number of Marillion albums. Uh, I'm going to call them post-Marbles albums that I have had trouble with. And some of them I've had a harder time getting into from the start than others. And, and some of those, you know, either it took me a longer time. And then, you know, some of those I, I just, let's just say they weren't my favorite albums. Um, and so when it came to this one, an hour before it's dark, I didn't want to say anything. I, I wanted to listen to it a lot, and I did. I listened to it a number of times in different settings, in the car, in my studio, washing the dishes, doing uh, walking the dogs. I mean, like on, on different mediums, and I because I, I really felt that Marillion earns, uh, you know, that that extra time and there has always been a lot of things that i have that i do like about this album and you know i feel like i'm being um repetitive about even last week's stephen wilson's record but i uh because i have similar feelings there are a number of things that i i do love 
about this album, but there are a number of things that 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 do frustrate me. So, you know, it, it's a it's a little bit of a mixed bag with me. So when I say I struggle, interesting. Uh, I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying I hate it, and you know, um, I'm not saying I love it. But you know, there are, are hot and cold moments. Ultimately, you know, I, ultimately, I would have liked it. Uh, if they did a number of things differently, <laughs> which we'll get into, but okay. uh, you know, I, I do, I do respect this album very much as I respect the band. And I, you know, there are um, a, a great number of things on, on here that, um, you know, I, I do appreciate and that I, I do like, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. Cool. Okay. That's totally legitimate. Mm-hmm. Ken, any, any, would you like to refute? Yes. Yes. When this came out, diehard Marillion fans on multiple con- continents rejoiced and experienced it through each other as a community and really celebrated this explosion of um, the, the nature of the album. It, it, it was written during quarantine it has subjects uh relating to quarantine and disease and climate and and, and weighty material that that h was able to uh uh, ferret out you know during this experience it has very deep origins and it, it was released you know in between winter and spring in the northern hemisphere and I felt like the album launched like a seed in the minds of many a Marillion fan in, in, in the uh, Marillion and fans Facebook group and, uh, you know, whatever other online communities. And we did not participate on that level. We, 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 we did, you know, Joe, I believe your name is in the booklet. It is. Yes. Okay. My my name's not there, although I, I did an order, I guess, a week after the cutoff, and I think Paul did something similar. Um, Tom, did you get a physical media for this? No. Okay, uh, and I the, and I, I I was also wrestling with the download. There was also a bit of a backlash due to shipping, which the band could not control, yeah. and the and the diehard fans rallied to support the band, but there were consequences as band members collectively left social media. Mm. So we, we lost our typically interactive, um, you know, cute posts and, and, and little tidbits where they would jump in and, and, and correspond. And, all of these little events really did mount into some kind of online celebration and we missed that and 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 not only did we miss it but but we were back to our old schedules you know uh pre 2020 and 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 children were in school and 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 people were doing things and i moved and many things happened and i feel like by the time we got to the album 
we really missed the party. It, it, it was it was quite, you know, an event for whatever reason. And hats off to the band. It should be. Um, but it, 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 I think it was a, a dish to be served warm in the winter. And, and we fed it to ourselves cold in the summer. <laughs> does that does that compute? Yeah, I get it. I, I follow you. It computes, but how do how are you feeling about it right now? Like, oh, it's amazing! It's really amazing. So it's amazing. It's just out of season. I love. Yes, it is. I love the freedom to express that 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 the band um, quarantine was a license for us to be human because we really didn't have a choice. We, We we had to. You know, find ourselves, reinvent ourselves over and over again, and and I think in the case of Merlin, it, it was just another license to be expressive, and they weren't afraid to use some of the cliches and some of the chords and some of the formats that they had visited before, because it was suddenly all new and it was suddenly all beautiful, and 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 and, and, and it's just an amazing album. And I feel like I feel like Stephen Rothery is a guest because he was the one that showed up to the studio late after you know observing doctor's orders and having health concerns and and whatnot. And when he shows up for a solo on this album, it's just like a rush of energy. It's like, yeah. where did this guy come from? It, it's beautiful, and and no one is holding back. It's not like they're too cool for school it's not like they're messing with your mind they're not um using subversive scales and chords and trying to be you know what they're not they're giving you the goods so honestly and so in your face i I don't i I don't know if that if, if that's one of the things that you know maybe resonates poorly with the skeptics or you know resonated with me slightly less in the summer but it, it it's truly just an explosion of the merillion skills and formulas and and motifs and it's very obvious you know what it is even though it's long and complex and has storylines it's still very obvious like like we are celebrating life and death are you on board or not that is cool i love it okay. that's a great answer ken Okay. <laughs> that being said, as a preamble, Ken, is there any context for prog rock in March of 2022? You know, it's interesting. Um, you guys reviewed the, the Quest when I wasn't around, and then we went on to review the Future Bites, and now we're on to an hour before it's dark, and... It, it's all kind of got a, a similar vibe in this period. Um, An Hour Before It's Dark lines up mostly with the quest. It's it's what we call kind of a late um, quarantine type release. Uh, the um, months preceding, since it's a 2022 release, so I'm looking, you know, after... February, March, 2021. 
and I'm seeing Frost Day and Age. I'm seeing King Gizzard and, and the Lizard Wizard. Styx put out Crash of the Crown, which has an incredibly proggy song on it. Uh, Big Big Train, Common Ground. Uh, Steve Howe, Homebrew 7. We've got Leprous. We've got Hawkwind. Steve Hackett did that wonderful Surrender of Silence. Tony K finally released End of Innocence, which he talked about on our actual Palaver podcast. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he um, <laughs> did. Hey, both Rachel of those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rachel Flowers, bigger on the inside. Yes, the quest. Uh, oh, Deer Hunter. We have not talked about the Deer Hunter on Progressive Palaver, but my goodness, someday we will get there. Even Dream Theater releasing a, an album in October 2021 um mastodon devon townsend two albums in december 2021 then crossing over the calendar big big train welcome to the planet uh hey steve vi let's give him some credit here in violate um oh this really interesting phenomena happened with nick DiRigilio, neil morris and ross jennings of hagen where they created a uh acoustic -y type vocal album flower kings were productive in march of this year and bam marillion an hour before it's dark the 4th of march 2022 absolutely brilliant love it um so ken as you mentioned it was released in march of 2022 it was released on the labels Intact and Ear Music, produced by Marillion with Michael Hunter. I don't normally talk about studios, but it is notable to me that beyond being recorded at the Racket Club, as you could imagine, um, actually several other um, studios are credited on the wikis, including my current favorite studio in the world, Real World Studios. Hmm. Um, there was a, a fun little video that they had made um, sort of knocking around real world, which was very fun to, uh, to watch. The, the personnel are the standard five, uh, Pete Trovavis on bass, Ian Mosley on drums, Stephen Rothery on electric guitar, Mark Kelly on keyboards, and Steve Hogarth on lead vocals. They do credit Choir Noir on, with vocals on Murder Machines, the Crow and the Nightingale and Care. The sound or the track listing includes Be Hard on Yourself, which includes one, the tear in the big picture, two, lust for luxury, and three, you can learn. Reprogram the gene, consisting of one, invincible, two, trouble-free life, and three, a cure for us. Only a kiss, murder machines, the crow and the nightingale. Sierra Leone, consisting of one, Chance in a Million, two, The White Sand, three, The Diamond, four, The Blue Warm Air, and five, More Than a Treasure. And the album finishes with Care, including one, Maintenance Drugs, two, An Hour Before It's Dark, three, Every Cell, and four, Angels on Earth. The Wikipedias have a very, very terse first section for this record, an Hour Before It's Dark is the 20th studio album by British neo-progressive rock band Marillion, released on 4 March 22 by Intact and Ear Music. And that's literally all that it says. In the absence of any other information, let me read what Marillion.com 
posts uh, on their website with regards to this album. An hour before it's dark, whether it's the last hour you were allowed to play outside as a child before you had to go home, a reference to the fight against time in relation to the climate crisis, or the last minutes in a person's life, Marillion once again put their finger on the pulse of time. Be it social, political, or personal issues, Marillion have never minced words and have always found a way to combine them with their own unique sound. Known for incredible songwriting, melodies, and top-notch musicianship, while swimming, swimming against the tide, not bending to norms and limitations. The quote from Stephen Hogarth says... Despite the seemingly bleak contemplations across this album, the virus, our mortality, medical science, care, and Leonard Cohen, haha, the overall feeling of the music is surprisingly upbeat. I think the band are as on form as they ever were, really, and the addition of Choir Noir has added another new soul and color to things. So, there you go. So we got a little bit of little bit of extra stuff from Marillion there. Very nice of them to provide that on their website. I'm going to, I, I, I meant to, and I have not sat down and tallied it up, but does this album outdo fear in terms of number of songs with mantras and the number of times those mantras are repeated? It seems like Steve Hogarth, has really embraced the mantra ideal and is really, really running with it. As he should. Okay, yeah, so it. we here at the Palaver are on board with the mantras. All right. <laughs> I, I wrapped my arms around the mantras. Oh, well ah, played, Ken. Well played. <laughs> I love it. So, and it's... It's funny, I'm glad I found that and read that, because as I was going through this record and, you know, listening to the lyrics and thinking about the the title of the album, An Hour Before It's Dark, and it shows up in at least, that line shows up in at least two different places. Um, and, and I was wondering that very thing. In fact, somewhere in my notes is, is a, a reference to, are we talking about, you know, societal breakdown are we talking about um you know climate change or are we talking about someone's death and apparently according to the band's website it can be all of those i hadn't really put together that time when you were a kid when you had to come home before it got dark which was like just reading that put all sorts of nostalgic feelings in my head i don't know that i picked up on any of that in the music itself um, but it is a very sort of heartwarming and enjoyable, uh, you know, thought to put into your head. Well, there are a lot of double meanings on here. Um, and, you know, one of the themes uh, that they do very well is you don't know how long you have uh, in, in life and to, you know, make the most of your time. Uh, now, they're sort of putting that under the pandemic umbrella, but I mean, there's a really, there, you can, you can really uh, put that in with just any general, you know, old age or any of, you know, like the cancers or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, you, you can really, depending on where you are 
depending on what year it is, I mean, right now the pandemic is very fresh in our minds. So, and we know that they wrote this around a lot of that around the pandemic. But you know, years from now, you know, people aren't going to be thinking about the pandemic really when they hear this album. Um, some of some of us may, yeah. but you know, there's a there's a broader, um, very profound theme. Uh, you know about you just not knowing when it's going to be your end, and I think that's a very uh, profound theme for for this that that transcends the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting how you know the pandemic really did sort of change everything for you know those eighteen twenty four months, um, and you know how obviously it was going to impact certainly people like um, Hogarth. But, you know, Tom, I like your point of, you know, there's there's more to it than that. And in a lot of ways, it brought into focus maybe other things that we should have perhaps been paying attention to all along. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, things that, that Steve himself have has repeatedly tried to point out to us, um, I was going to ask the question. I'm I'm not going to pose it um, seriously now, but I, I was at one point in the preparation for this contemplating asking you guys the question of you know did we miss did we miss a, a more dare I say whimsical Steve Hogarth when he was singing about you know unrequited love and things of that nature because between some of the topics on this album and fear um, and even back to sounds that can't be made, right? Steve's bringing the heavies these days and, you know, and, and maybe Ken, I don't know if this is part of, of maybe what you were trying to touch on or not, but he's really challenging us. If we want to be challenged Mm. to contemplate, these things. And, and I think, you know, the, the multiple layers of meaning, Tom, that you were talking about, you know, could allow someone to kind of skate through this with if they don't want to engage on that deeper level, but it, it certainly is there. And so, you know, this is one of these things that I'm starting to really kind of dig in with this record and, and explore those nooks and crannies. And I'll be perfectly honest, I have not explored the nooks and crannies of this record nearly enough yet. Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever views or or thoughts I give on this record tonight, they're likely to change and be enhanced, I would expect in the coming months. So. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this, um, a lot more certainly during, um, angels on earth. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's really, uh, it's very moving when you know you know he's talking about the healthcare workers during the pandemic but uh like i said i mean you can really you know just having going through gone through a, a parent who passed away i mean dealing with um health healthcare workers and and those sort of things people in hospitals uh i mean all of them are angels and you know whether you're in a pandemic or not and you, you really have an appreciation for them when you've been through certain situations. So, uh, yeah, there, there is a lot to dive into this album with this album. All right. Well, shall we dive into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, um, 
we start with with be hard on yourself and you know it's it's an interesting sort of opening to the record we have this sort of soft open um into that choral part and then it goes right into this wonderful sort of rolling piano riff and it's it's a nice way i think to sort of you know bring you in and you know, by the time they get to it, I, I'm really into the the imagery of the tear in the big picture. Um, hmm. You know, there, there's something about that phrase, and the, and when he sings that line later on in in this particular section of the of the first section of the song, it really kind of grabs me, and it's like, ooh, I like where you're going here, Steve. And and it's funny because I had the the note here in this first section of is be hard on yourself a mantra because he he doesn't necessarily repeat it on top of itself because you know our rules of engagement are we need we need three repeated instances of the line in order for it to be a mantra and he kind of flirts around with that a little bit he certainly makes sure that you you know you're ready for it when it does become one um but most of this is is not that um, and and but there are some really great sort of lyrical moments in here that make me, you know, think about things. So if we go to uh, th- the first verse that really kind of got me was when he he sings, "Run toward the things that scare you, I dare you." And I'm like, that's kind of weird. But once your ears are perked up, it goes into there's a tear in the big picture. Can't burn it. Got to fix it. Heard you say life's what you settle for. Nobody told you less can be more. And then he goes into the strap in, get ready, foot down, push the button, blow it all up, and be hard on yourself. And it's like it just kind of rockets off at that point. You're going, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Would H have written these lyrics quite this way if he was not a father? It almost sounds like advice to a child. Yeah. Or a young adult. It, it certainly, it gives it a lot more focus, right? If he's just kind of preaching to, you know, Joe Schmo on the street, it's like, well, you know, who's Steve to tell me what to do? Although there, I mean, you, and that's one of those multiple layer things, right? You can sort of envision or interpret this on a larger societal scale, but I like where you're going here, Ken, with the with the parental advice angle. I think that's a really powerful sort of <laughs> angle on this. <laughs> Which is funny if you read The Monkey Wants a New Toy. I actually have a note for that. Um, that, I mean, that can be a line in personal shopper. <laughs> have, uh, yeah, it really could. I, I want Hogarth to say noise canceling headphones. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, I think, with that. But uh, Joe, you and I have the same lines written down. I actually have that same line written down, run toward the things that scare you, I dare you. And I think, you know, there's something you said for um, dealing with fear. And I think that's what this song is about. It's almost left over from the last album, but it's kind of along the lines of what Ken, you were talking about earlier. I mean, there, there is an obvious theme to this, but 
it's it's refreshing because um, you know Merlin doesn't always do this, and and, and it is bold. So it is a is a stylistic um, way of of saying to kind of regovern yourself, you know, to challenge yourself. And I, I think that's 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 important. I mean, it doesn't, you know, there are creative ways to say this, and there's like a Tony Robbins way to say it, right? So I mean, uh, we, we, we're 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 definitely hearing the creative way of of saying it, but regardless of how it's said it is a very important message i think you know ken you were talking about when when rothery shows up how it's it's like you know a, a ray of sunshine or whatever so you know this section finishes out with that very catchy guitar line and you're like yeah this is great and then you get the quick cut boom, out into um lust for luxury mm -hmm. and you know i mean Wow. This this part feels very marbles to me. Parts of this very much remind me of, I guess, Ocean Cloud, probably. Um, I've been trying to, you know, it kind of floats in and out. But there are a couple of lines that stand out here, even though this section is, is relatively short. Now, I'm not going to quote the monkey wants a new toy, um, although that's, that is a great line, um, unless you're saying it to your son, which is kind of... <laughs> um, I do like the world has seen enough impotent bags of blood, which is pretty harsh. Mm. And I do like the, the near mantra at the end of this section, cause of death, lust for luxury. Um, I just, I find that to be oddly compelling the way he delivers that. And it, it all, you know, builds up to this huge end and then another quick transition into the the next section so you know it, and it's funny because this track is i mean how this total track is of course i didn't get it it's like nine minutes long or something like that it's it's you know by all accounts it's it's not a short song but it seems to just fly by yeah and, and there's something that we've we've always been loving and that that's uh you know, of course mark kelly the beginning of this song uh it starts out so great and it's so well produced to have mark kelly that sort of piano sound in a in a in a rock setting and you're really hearing all the parts and it's just a nice way to kick off a song now i don't know if something like this was one of the things that they did before um Steve Rothery, you know, joined in on the sessions or not, but it wouldn't surprise me if this was one of the the songs that they were jamming uh, to, you know, before he came into the studio, because it's, it is a very, it's, as some of the stories go about this album, um, this is a, a heavier uh, keyboard album, keyboard slash piano album because of that, and it, it starts off that way and it does, certainly doesn't bother me at all. I actually find it nice. It's actually, there's, there's an organic feel at the beginning of this that is, that is refreshing. I love the song. I adore it. And I will say just one uh, negative, 
impression that I get near the end. Hmm. I mean... And, and by the end well, of the song, are you talking about the end of the section, um, Lust for Luxury, or the end of the entire track at the end of You Can Learn? Well, here's what I love. The only way forward is to fall over, mm -hmm. or you can learn to be, or you can learn to be hard on yourself. You can do better, you can do better, but do it now. And when he says that, I am on board, hook, line, and sinker. And, and, and it just strikes, you know, whether it's um, personal or career or, you know, me wanting to record a song it's just like just do it that 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 feeling just resonates through me mm -hmm. and then he gets talking about the next stanza <laughs> he gets a little poetic on us in the next stanza and, and i laugh but it doesn't really have to be quite that way we haven't got long to the end of the song it, it's cute it's it, it's cute he he almost resolves a lot of the pressure that he puts on us in the previous stanza mm -hmm. because you can be sitting there thinking about that's right i have to do my taxes oh my god and then he <laughs> then he lets you off the hook moments later uh the pressure is only really for this song it's just a song yeah i'm, I'm, it, I'm only joshing you here i don't i don't want to get you too stressed out buddy well but it it's it's funny you say that because that that particular set of lines again sort of made me do the the dog head tilt moment it's like wait what did he just say right <laughs> right it is it is we haven't got long we haven't got long to the end of the song yeah that's 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 not a typical merlion trick he's being extra cute there and, and and i mean obviously you know he's not talking about the you know 45 seconds you have left at the end of this song or maybe he is but the point is it it did make me sort of sit up and go all right here we go um, you know, <laughs> what is this? But again, we get the strap in, get ready, foot down, push the button, blow it all oh. up, blow it all up. And then it all scales back. And I absolutely love the outro to this. Yeah. Where he, he, he you know, like you said, he kind of brings everything into focus. Paint a picture, sing a song, plant some flowers in the park, get out and make it better. That's the line that gets me every time. You've got an hour before it's dark. You know, you can interpret that on any of the levels that were previously discussed. But the fact of the matter is, if, you know, you have time and you can make a difference. And I love that, that idea of make it better. Do whatever you have to do. Do whatever's in your wheelhouse, but make it better. And this is one of the things that I love about Hogar so much. He can, he can be so optimistic while dumping a big load of crap on your desk. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing to me. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, look, here's a big pile of crap on your desk. This is bad. It's smelly. It's terrible. It's on your desk. You can't not look at it. Look mm. at it. See it right there. But you can fix it. You can clean this up. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's get into the hour before it's dark. Is this... Is this a Sunday and your weekend's almost gone and you have a chore to do outside in the sun? Or is this, is this Friday before you're going to, to rage and party and eat pizza? <laughs> yes. I don't think it's the hour before you're going to rage and eat pizza. I'm going to go out on a limb for that one. 
and and it could be any any one of those things, right? And that's that's the the beauty of it. It could be the the last hour before you go to bed on Sunday night before you start your work week. It could be the last year you have to live, depending on what's going on, or mm-hmm. you it's know, it, it 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 anything. It's brilliant. I love it, and. And it's it's so open to interpretation. So that's why, yeah, this song really, really got me. Surprisingly. Maybe not surprisingly, right? Because it's it's catchy. And then there's like what's what I find interesting about this song is it's the goofy lines that sort of made me pay attention to it and start to listen for the really good lines that nice. are exceptional. So that takes us into um, reprogram the gene and we start with invincible oh i thought about this all day joe i want to know you as a scientist how you digest reprogram the gene the title to begin with you know it's it's interesting uh the way that this song seems to be constructed and and i didn't actually copy the lyrics for this but as i was thinking about it right you know, on the surface, like the the most obvious interpretation here is, you know, we're talking about all these genetic modifications that we can do for things. And he's sort of extending that out to caricature level for people of, hey, we want to be all of these things. And all these things that we're doing, um, whether it's actually reprogramming genes or, you know, otherwise, um, will ultimately lead towards the climate crisis that we're dealing with which is going to kill us all but hey we're going to be supermen standing in the middle of of you know a desolate wasteland and i mean that's that's at least how uh, you know i've gotten to this as a scientist you know i i appreciate the you know the potential implications of what i do now it's interesting because it's like anything else in the world you know, science is science is what's illuminating the problem, right? So you can, you know, do you use your powers for good or for evil? I'll never, ever forget when I was 18, graduating from high school and getting ready to go um, to school to become a chemist, I was, um, I applied for and was interviewed for and ultimately won a, a minimal scholarship from the PPG paint company. And I had to go be interviewed for this. And Hmm. one of the questions that they asked me that I'll never, ever forget was, you know, it was something along the lines of you're a scientist and you're working on something and you make a discovery and that discovery, you know, has the potential to be weaponized. You know, what do you do? (laughs) Wow. And (laughs) You know, that's a, that's a lot for an 18-year-old to kind of chew on for, for, for 30 seconds in an interview period. Oh, my God. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, if you're asking if it unsettles me in any way, shape, or form, it does not. Um, because, you know, there's as many advances in science that benefit as do harm. And it's a matter of how they're applied. So Joel, I, I, I strongly hope that you started quoting um, Wrath of Khan and Project Genesis <laughs> on, on the spot. In short, Genesis is life from lifelessness. <laughs> nice. Beautiful. Oh. 
love it. I know my Rapidcon. <laughs> <laughs> but H definitely has a, a definite image that he's trying to create here. I like the way he, he sets it up. I like the locked up, knocked out, unknown, um, overgrown, but I'm going to be invincible. You know, sort of like, yeah, I don't care. I'm flushing the whole thing down the toilet, but I'm going to be great. He's always been very good about presenting these self-involved narcissistic personalities to us. Um, and I think this is just sort of an a extreme exaggeration of that. Gentlemen, could this be another example of dual meetings here? Because I, I'm getting something different from this song. I bet it is. Uh, so please, I'd love to hear. Well, I'm getting more of a support for sort of like transgender uh, Absolutely. people and all that. And, and I, when I first heard it, I was hearing more of that and, and less of the environment stuff. I mean, it's interesting that you guys bring it up and it sort of makes me think about a lot of things, uh, which is, you know, what this is all about, right? But I, um, yeah, I, I, I was hearing more of that. I, I think it definitely starts out there, right? I don't want to be a boy. I don't want to be a girl. I want to be happy. Right. That, you're absolutely right. That definitely points down that avenue, and I'm with you. Um, I want to be clever in no pain whatsoever. It, maybe that whole stanza is, and maybe he just puts clever in there to rhyme with whatsoever. I, I, I don't know, but I, I get that, and I understand... Um, you know, all of the trials with that. But it's the next verse that kind of, you know, starts to get me, right? Because I want to be Dr. Frankenstein, put my brain in a box full of LED light. You can have it for Christmas next year. It'll be cheaper and 14 times as bright. Um, I don't want to be food for the trees. I don't want a fever. I don't want to cough as the planet simply shrugs us off. Don't want to say goodbye to the earth and the sky as the last of the animals curls up and dies. I, I think there are both things there. Um, and when you talk about, you know, reprogram the gene, yeah, it can be any number of things, right? Because there's... Well, I mean, we also have the, the Dr. Frankenstein thing is interesting because, you know, you're taking, you know, different body parts to make up Frankenstein. So, I mean, I thought he was really going, you know, kind of really going for it. And then, you know, it does go into more of the environment. So it, it, it's interesting um how it sort of morphs yeah it's almost like he couldn't decide what it's about or maybe it's about everything i don't know right but i mean you you bring up a good point because i was sort of losing it when you start talking about the lights and stuff and so i guess at that, at that point it starts making more sense with the environment but um i don't know there's uh, certainly certainly a lot to think about it here yeah there seems to be sort of this recurring theme with these multi-part songs in here. There's the quick dropout into the next section. Love it. Um, which is trouble-free life. It, it's, it's a great, it's a great mechanism and I really do enjoy it, but it does seem to happen quite a lot. Um, and for whatever reason, trouble-free life to me just feels like the, this part of the song feels like the title to me. You can turn up, the pain, the gain on the pain, all the problems you don't really have in this trouble-free life, in the trouble-free life. I've seen the future. It ain't orange. Listen to Greta T. Begins with the letter C. 
Um, the spores already on the breeze. The, we get what we deserve. The cure is the disease. Interesting, right? Like, mm. I, I, here again, I'm not necessarily tracking with exactly what he's trying to tell me, but somehow the music is able to convey this idea to me of a trouble-free life, um, even though the lyrics are terribly ominous. Well, I mean, the one note I have here to go along with that is when you say ominous, this is a really good example of having uh, ominous lyrics, but an upbeat, Yeah, you know, with upbeat music, because, I mean, the music does not represent the the lyrics and and it's always fun when a band does this well and we talked about this last week with Stephen Wilson stuff and you know certainly there's a lot of this on 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 this album where you know the music is upbeat and it has a, a very um, wonderful mix with the sort of melancholy serious tones that he's singing about so uh, I think this is this. This section here that we're talking about is a great example of that. And if you look at the the last verse lyrically, it's it it's interesting because the way I'm viewing this album right now is it's almost like you know a, a movie or a season of a TV show where they're they're putting out little bits and pieces that seem unrelated or random at the time, and then by the time you get to the end. He ties them all together. So don't want a fever. Don't want a flood. I want to be the thing you love. Don't want to say goodbye, but I'm watching the time, the flowers and the bees vanishing beneath our feet. I don't want to be food for the trees. So, you know, here again, he starts to sort of bring in this idea of being something meaningful for someone else, which is going to pay off in spades at the end of this album. Um, but at the same time, we're talking about this sort of larger impact. So I, I just think it's interesting the way they they set that up. And this this sonic dissonance that you're talking about, Tom. I, and I don't. I should know, and I don't know. I don't know if there, anything was said about this in the interviews you watched. Do the four members of the band write music without H? And he just does he bring lyrics in separately or? Do they do all five of them write together? Um, what, like I'm wondering, I, I'm wondering how this comes to be, right? Yeah, they prefer to write yeah. as a band. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, now they will bring in bits and pieces here and there because they've alluded to their uh, SoundCloud account where they do have the bits and they would vote on the bits and they would put them together. Uh, but more so with fear and then an hour before it's dark. Uh, they did make a concerted effort to do more of it in the room. Yeah. Steve, Steve Rothery kind of joked around about it. In fact, he said uh, in one of the interviews that the, the past few albums were like that, where they just jammed together uh, because they, they argued less. They had less time to argue about you know, <laughs> what to do where when they, were, when they were jamming as opposed to you know sending files back and forth. So... Yeah, 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 that's what I get as well from the past few albums is that they all are, are, are jamming. I, I think it's a really great song. I, I suppose I'm, I'm giving my deepest criticism to this one of everything on the album 
just because I really haven't recovered from the, the notion of reprogram the gene. I mean, genetics is so complicated and we have scientific, scientific understandings, but then we have like our cultural understandings. And um, I, I, I don't know that genetics gives way to metaphor that easily or that well. There's just too much going on there. Is there a cure for us? Is there a cure for us? Is there a cure for us? Well, he implied earlier in the song that almost that the, the, the cure is what we deserve. Like, like if we're unfortunate enough and dumb enough to infect each other, then the cure is less people. <laughs> That's what he implied earlier in the, in, in the song. Uh, but I guess at this point, he's putting a more optimistic spin on there. And then finally, let's all be friends of the earth. I get it. I get it. it it's just, just, it's just a tough sell, right? Because in the end, actually doing right by our future generations and doing right by our resources and the planet is not being friends. It's, it, it's a very difficult logistical paradigm shift but yeah. sure if you just want to sum it up and let's be friends yeah go for it and i think that's that's totally fair okay moving on so we can move on to only a kiss which is a beautiful um transition into murder machines i i you know there's not really a whole lot to say about this it's a, it's a really short segment there are no words. It's, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it other than, yeah, it's here. It's a great transition into Murder Machines. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, my only thing to say is, do we really need this as a separate title? Can't this just be the intro for Murder Machine? Like, I, I, like, I would not argue that at all, Tom. Because <laughs> if, you, if you didn't have this tracked out, you would think this was the intro to Murder Machines, period. Exactly, uh, yes. Maybe so, it's just that old trick of, of getting more plays on the streaming services. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> well, because they, um, they do track all the individual subsections as tracks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that is, uh, that is certainly something that you know, they could be doing. Now, Murder Machines. This was the first single that I was aware of. I remember when it came out, I listened to it and I thought, huh, Murder Machines. That sounds like a pretty un-Hogarth title for a song. <laughs> I'll be honest, when I first heard it, when I listened to it the first time, you know, and maybe I'm just anxious to move past the whole COVID thing, I didn't view it in that light. I viewed it at you know, the, the 50,000 foot, very obvious level. I took the words, I killed her with love as being metaphorical of someone who's obstinate or whatever. And I'm just going to, you know, metaphorically love her to death. But when you read these lyrics, it seems to me to be much more obvious about this idea of you know, if you, during the pandemic, you literally give someone a hug, you put your arms around them, and in the hopes of, you know, providing care and comfort as we're all wont to do, 
But if you infect them and they die from COVID, you have essentially killed them, which is Jesus. Wow. Okay. This song has now become way heavier than it used to be. Um, You know, it, when I first listened to it in my naive manner, it was, it was a clever Hogarth use of lyrics to get across the love each other point that he always brings across. But now it's, it's much more literal. And I'm honestly struggling with this a lot because of that. It's wonderful. It's brilliant. I'm going to credit uh, marillionnations.blogspot.com. H said, I tried not to write about the virus, but it's been so much a part of life for the past few years that it kept creeping in. Terrifying reality that to wrap my arms around a father and mother could ultimately kill them gave birth to this song. The lyric was then developed to hint at jealousy and heartbreak, the pain of watching the woman you love embrace another man or the emotional murder of the serial adulterer. And of course, the arms of the superpowers and the psychopaths who sometimes have their fingers on the triggers. Beware the murder machines. Where the fuck in these lyrics is this other level of meaning? Because I don't see it at all. It's it's it, I'm it, calling bullshit on Hogarth. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I it, it's it's not an awful stretch. I, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, m- musically, what what Pete is doing with Ian has this this pulse that, that that gives you a little bit of that vibe that it could be something military. That there's a and there's an aggression and an ominous feeling there. So. You know, I, I, I'm just going to give the band credit that they're 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 pulling in a lot of influences m- musically to create this little pastiche. All right. It's funny the the note that I had actually involved the interplay between the drums and the guitar, not necessarily the bass, but yeah, there there is sort of that 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 drive underneath it that I think is fascinating. Is it fair to say that this is not a, a real mantra, being that it's only twice on this album? <laughs> yeah, we're sh- we're sh- sh- shooting ourselves in the foot with these rules, aren't we? I I don't think so because I put my arms around him. She put her arms around him. She put her arms around me. Each of those is repeated three times, so we have mantras three different times that are oh. related to each other. So I'm going to give this one a mantra sticker. Sweet. So it's it's not within a song. It's it I thought it was within in like separate parts of an album as No, the the mantra is when Hogarth repeats a line 3 times sequentially. Oh, okay. Okay. So All we right. have we have some late breaking input from Paul Zotter who apparently is not going to be able to join us tonight. Would you guys like me to read it into the uh, into the record? Please oh, do. I, yeah, I saw it. It's, it, it. it's awfully sad, but go ahead, read it into the record. <laughs> Maybe Paul's distracted. In a nutshell, Rothery and, Kel- and Kelly are f- fucking killing it on this album, but the rest feels like 18 ideas strung together into a handful of, quote, songs, end quote. I haven't been able to connect with anything until this morning. Cares hit me hard. Better than the quest? I don't think so. So clearly, Paul is delusional wow. at this point. Yeah. Um, 
and and just has not had time to connect up with this album. Uh, my initial thoughts when I asked you guys the question at the start of the episode, you know, my my initial feeling with this record was there was not anything unusual about this record. If you liked Fear, there's no reason why you shouldn't enjoy listening to this, even if it maybe wasn't your favorite Marillion record of all time. As I spent more time with it, I have gotten way more invested in this than I was before. So, you know, I, I find it interesting. And, and knowing Paul the way we do and knowing his appreciation for Marillion, I'm going to chalk this up to he has not spent... Um, sufficient time considering this record because he has other things going on. So I'm going to give him a pass right now, but uh, we may follow up with him later on this. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really not in the uh, Merlion frame of mind. Well, it is, it is summer. So I I would like to move on to um, past murder machines and all the uncomfortableness that goes with that. And I would like to talk about the crow and the nightingale. I'm going to be honest. I have no freaking clue what this song is about. And I absolutely adore every second of it. Cool. For the longest time, this was the too long, didn't read song on the album where eventually I was going to get to it. Uh, um, but I agree with you. When you kind of get to it, there's still a lot to try to get. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I, we have sort of the, the same opening, sort of with the vocal part into this beautiful piano part. And it, I mean, beautiful in all caps. Like, I just, I find this musically to be so engaging. And, and you know, Pete's doing his runs every now and again. And you get all the sort of lovely little Marillion things that you love. And I mean, Rothery is just like shredding my face off on the outro solo. It's just, it's, it's just delightful all over the place. And the only line that, that really stuck out to me. And, and again, I, I've looked at these lyrics and maybe I'm being dense. I have no idea what, what at all he's talking about, but the line adding my dull sheen to your brilliant words, just, kind of hits me for some reason. I don't know why that one just, just resonates inside my chest cavity a little bit. Um, and yeah, so I, 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 I honestly have nothing logical to say other than I love this song. Well, well, speaking of Steve Rothery solo, this according to him is his favorite song on the album. Really? uh, It sort of makes sense because he does, he does shine on this album. Um, you know, listen, I'm going to be, there's certain things that I I love about the song, but there are some things that Paul brought up that, you know, I sort of half agree with. And and I think that when, when he, Paul talks about the flow and the, the things connecting with one another, I would really love to hear H he, does he have to sing over like every single section except for the solo? I mean, I, 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 I love him as much as the next guy. Okay. Uh, you know, as much as the next Merlion fan, but I, I, I just, it, you gotta have peaks and valleys. And 
uh, there's a, there's numerous sections on here and you know i, I have to say and this is going to be unpopular with you guys but even on fear i i, I think that you know there, there's just there's got to have some sort of structure and when i say structure i'm not saying that there should be a some like a um a pop rock paradigm or anything but i mean it's just this sort of i feel that sometimes he meanders and although there are beautiful things going on in this song and i agree with you about the solo and um you know we haven't even really talked about the you know the the, the, the choirs and the the orchestra and things like that um that that really add wonderful texture to to some of this stuff and, and certainly in these sections that we're going to be talking about but i i just you need a little bit of a breath and when paul said his notes there were some i i had some agreement uh, i wanted to wait till we got to this part until i agreed because it's more a little bit more pertinent but we can still have our cake and eat it too if steve uh, if, mm, mm, if, mm. If, if Hogarth exercises some, um, uh, what, what does Spock say to Kirk if he governs his passions? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got a Star Trek night. I, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you in the sense, Tom, that you know one of the things that you know has traditionally been a hallmark of Marillion are these these instrumental passages to allow you to be carried from one place to another. And yeah, I, 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 you know, I hadn't thought of it, but I think it's a very valid point. So does anyone have anything else about um, the crow and the nightingale or should we move on to Sierra Leone? Uh, the references at Marillion nation, we've got, um, Aesop's fables, the crow and the nightingale are characters, but they never actually appear together in Aesop's fables. fables. Um, crow appears in 27 tales, while the nightingale appears in six. Uh, the the um, influence of Leonard Cohen on Steve Hogarth is here to the extent that uh, he even talked about it in the Corona Diaries. Um, Better Than Darkness comes from the opening stanza, stanza of the Coem poem, Better. Better Than Darkness is fake darkness, which swindles you into necking with your neighbor's daughter. So, locking of Helen of Troy in a padded cell, uh, reference to the Trojan War, I suppose they have here, and uh, racket and a tune assumed to be a reference to the racket club. So the song really, truly appears to be all over the map. Which would explain why I have no idea what the hell it's about, because it's about everything. It's beautiful. Moving on. Okay, great. So, Sierra Leone. Interesting, interesting uh, song, this. So, um, Sierra Leone, obviously a republic on the west coast of Africa. Uh, most usually notable... Um, it's bordered by Liberia uh, to the southeast, and Guinea surrounds the northern half of the nation. Has a population of about 7 million people as of 2015. Constitutional Republic with a unicameral parliament 
and a directly elected president. It's really mostly known for um, terrible civil war that they had, which was partially uh, paid for by blood diamonds, also called conflict diamonds, brown diamonds, hot diamonds, or red diamonds. Um, and those are diamonds mined in a war zone and sold to finance and insurgency, um, and invading armies, war efforts, or a warlord's activity. So um, obviously, you know, the central character in this whole suite um, finds a diamond, uh, by all accounts, a very large and valuable one. And for reasons completely unbeknownst to me, ultimately decides that they will never sell this diamond. It is more than a treasure, and it was sent to them from God, which I find to be interesting. Yeah, Sierra Leone. You know, story-wise, it's um, it's it's interesting, but I think I, I honestly spent too much time looking at the lyrics and everything else, but uh, at the expense of the music. But again, I think musically it fits very much in line with what I would expect from Aurelian, and I get all of the little, you know, tips and tropes that I want. And generally speaking, you know, I, I'm very happy with this, but I don't know that it's, I, if Steve was looking to move me with some, you know, deep, uncomfortable truth, I don't know that he got me yet. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. Um, I, I, my only note, really, on this whole Sierra Leone sweep is that uh, I love how it climaxes at the end. He has me there, but I yeah. don't, I'm not. I mean, I'm skipping like like four or five yeah. pieces here. So, but yeah, I mean, a lot. You know, a lot of this is in my sort of Hogarth meander section. Um, you know, there, I, again, there's beautiful things going on here, and um, you know, you're. You sort of have, you definitely have a lot to listen to. It just doesn't quite come together for me um, until at the end I, I sort of wake up uh, at, at the end and I'm, it, 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 it really kind of comes together at the end. But until then, it's a little bit long winded. Are we talking about the same song, Sierra Leone? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've had, you know, if I've listened to it 30 times, you know, a good five or six of those have been that I get it kind of moment. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of into it. I mean, in particular, uh, at the end of the second stanza, he says, but I won't sell this diamond. I won't sell this diamond. Initially, that probably didn't really mean anything to me but once you've heard the song once you know that is a trigger and i'm sleeping in the white sand that's a trigger for me too so what i'm curious what that what that triggers right it because what i guess maybe what i'm struggling with here and this could be you know my own personal limitations is i mean the entire second section is just I'm sleeping in the white sand and sometimes of Sierra Leone. So is that, is that the, 
the potential life of leisure that's available should this diamond be liquidated or is is there something else like i'm i'm i just can't follow the dots oh you have expectations yeah yeah drop those i mean uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> so just let go and trust h i'm with you now i think there's a universal truth here of an individual being happy in themselves and you know not doing what it is that is supposed to make them happy because we don't actually know what makes us happy you know m maybe the riches found by selling this diamond would make the person happy but you know if he's already outside in the nice weather with the white sand and living a reasonable life then there's something to be said for that i mean i think there's i think it's so obvious again to use that you know that notion that it's not that deep it is what it is and so beautiful um i i, I love in particular the, the first part called chance in a million starts with either acoustic piano or just a brilliant sample with, with with mark being the genius that he is and you know it gets thicker and thicker and it yet it's not a formulaic marble song it doesn't get so dense there's a lot of space in here it's it's, it's a bit more of a a dreamy sketch that, that they've got. Now, and they, they're a rock band and they pull it all together and they rock a little bit and they make it thick. But it's 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 really quite the diet soft drink of the Marillion catalog. <laughs> diet soft drink. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it, 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 it's the, the well, okay, uh, sparkling but, water of the Marillion catalog. It just kind of floats by you. Right, but but I mean, here again, and, and maybe, like I said, maybe this is my own shortcoming. I'm used to Steve Hogarth coming at me with songs like Gaza and Fear and, you know, bringing his, you know, big heavy hammer and bashing me about the head saying, hey, dumbass, look what's going on here. So when I hear Sierra Leone and I know that they have this history of, you know, questionable diamond trade, I'm thinking, all right, what's he trying to teach me today? But you're saying maybe nothing. I do love lyrically um, the fourth section, the blue warm air, because it, it basically describes, you know, looking through this presumably big, fat, beautiful diamond. And it's very, very cool. Now, of course, when you find a diamond, it, you know, it's not faceted the way that it is when that would create this um this experience that he's describing, but perhaps I quibble. <laughs> Meaning it's, it's, it's not cut and placed in jewelry such that it will miraculously refract the light in a exactly. particular. Yes. You know, this is one of those nooks and crannies that I think, you know, the more time I spend with this, maybe I will have a different experience. Mm, I hope so. But I am very excited then to move on to the last track on the album or the last song care 
this one kind of took me by surprise. Um, the first few times I listened through this record, um, you know, and, and this record's only, I think, 54 minutes long. So it's not like it's a huge long one. Um, but, you know, time is always of the essence. And I always felt rushed and didn't really want to, you know, I was looking to go on to the next thing that I had going on. And I'll be honest, just the, the title of the first section, Maintenance Drugs, kind of puts me off a little bit. This was one of those songs, like, I think musically, it finally grabbed me because it, it has, uh, you know, again, it's it's a great piece, uh, I think, of Marillion music. <laughs> and when you started paying attention, when I started paying attention to the lyrics, um, and and we bring back in an hour before it's dark, right? That whole section just got me. Um, oh, good, good, good. And and so now all of a sudden, care is like you know one of the highlights for me of this record. I absolutely love the the payoff overall lyrically of this song. Like I said, it it brings all of the things they've sprinkled, not all, many of the things they sprinkled around that seemed random and brings it into very crystal clear focus in a beautiful and moving way. And so this, this song, you know, really elevated for me. All right. Well, let's get with maintenance drugs first. Um, I found this to be the only groovy, funky reference on the whole album. And I was so off put by it until I envisioned the individual, the character, okay. which is assuming. And I swear there has to be some intentionality here. The, 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 the character is grooving in the beginning because they are essentially stoned. It could be CBD. It could be straight up, you know, cannabis delivery. It, it could be some morphine derivative, whatever it is on top of the chemo. Mm -hmm. This, this person starts off grooving. They give me maintenance drugs. It's like, I think the only way I'm getting through this is being high. That's, that's the personality I've, I've, I've nailed this character with it, which is why Pete's got the little envelope filter on, on, on the base and they're kind of, doing that weird thing and once one once that kind of formed in my head i was fine because it was very authentic with 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 you know the the life of the the chronically ill human who who, who, who you know is maybe missing out on you know travel and find food and certain types of exercise and all these beautiful things but damn it you know in the words of Weezer Weezer they've got their hash pipe wow I mean uh, this whole time I mean I, I think of care as an umbrella of all this for COVID I guess because I'm thinking of in terms of you know angels on earth but you know, I probably should have read a little bit more into the specifics of the specific songs, um, because I, what what you're describing, Ken, is is not specifically 
the COVID references of angels on earth. Um, so maybe care is more of a, a broader sense of these things. Oh, you uh, no, 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 you no, no, you, you're you're capturing the overall arc of the song, and I'm just focusing on one, one, you know, interpretation of the beginning. Um, right. But, but yeah, 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 yeah. You're absolutely uh, seeing the forest through the through the trees. So, did anyone catch the? I don't even remember how it's pronounced. But there is in the lyrics, um, Domhan, whether you like it or not, when it's gone, it's going to take you with it, this one. Um, that is actually an old Irish word that can mean, among other things, a vast amount, number, or quantity. So presumably, we are talking about a vast amount of maintenance drugs in this particular instance. I think there are a, a number of different ways that you guys were talking about to interpret this song, right? Obviously there are caregivers at the end of anyone's life in a perfect world, right? Um, whether that be hospice care or in the hospital. So it could be a situation where you're talking about someone um, dealing with chemo and, you know, having maintenance drugs on top of it, or it could be someone during the pandemic, obviously who's in, you know, showing extreme uh, symptoms and is in distress and they could also be given maintenance drugs. And I think, I think, you know, however you interpret the first part of the song is balanced out and, you know, you land on the same level with the, the back half of the song and you can choose either runway and they both lead to the same airport. Okay. Real quick. Um, Smashing Interviews Magazine interviewed H. This is again Marillion Nations blogspot.com. And and the actual character that inspired this for H was his friend Conrado in Mexico City, who had inoperable tumors along his spine. Okay. <laughs> That's very specific for H. That's very specific. For me, everything turned on section two, an hour before it's dark. Now I'm already fixated on the phrase an hour before it's dark, even before I read what I read from the, the band's website. Absolutely love it. And so when it shows up here, right, if if something shows up 35 minutes later in, in a record, there's probably a reason it shows up. So I'm going to pay attention and I'm paying attention. And he goes into, these are the days that will flash before our eyes at the end. These are the moments burned into the secret places of our hearts. Thank you for making me truly, truly alive in a life where luxury was sometimes to survive. Under the weight of last love, disillusionment, and shame, you came warm and loved me like a tropical storm spiraled me up into the air. So he literally, you know, creates a literal uplifting image, um, which just freaking slayed me. I was like, wow, okay. And regardless of the, 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 you know, the cause of the terminal situation, anyone with, you know, something in their chest can hopefully, you know, relate to and understand that, mm -hmm. you know, that sentiment. And I just absolutely loved it. So that's an hour before it's dark, which goes into every cell. Um, 
And, and again, lyrically, these are the days that will flash before our eyes at the end. Yours are the words that will whisper in my body as it fades. Yours is the laughter burned into my days, locked away in every cell. Um, I came, I saw, I fell, and I changed. Found freedom in a diamond I won't trade, not even for heaven. So he's bringing back in this, this concept of this diamond and keeping it for yourself. Nice. Yeah. And as I unpeeled you, you realized you loved me enough to leave me forever, which is, oh, yeah. And and so this is where, like, Rothery is really bringing it. Um, and ultimately, it's paid off into Section 4, Angels on Earth, where we're talking about the, the caregivers. And even beyond that, um, you know, you could argue... Um, you know, the, the song actually ends potentially with a true angel. But the important thing here is um, we're repeating the line from Murder Machines, but without the murder. We are actually getting, you know, genuine wrapping of arms to provide comfort as darkness comes. Which, after the experience of Murder Machines, it's so nice to have that. I mean, it's still kind of like, you know, a heavy place to end. But at least, you know, to, to H's point, it provides an uplifting sort of um, perspective on it all. Mm -hmm. um, completely left field and probably wildly inappropriate given this subject matter. But it makes me think of the... Twin Peaks movie Fire Walk With Me, which ultimately shows, you know, it, it climaxes in, you know, the, the murder of the title character. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the movie in 30 years, um, mm. which is a horrific scene, but it's balanced out by this character at the very end of the movie seeing a literal angel and being bathed in her light and finding that peace at the end, because there's no way you could end the movie where it ended, you know, story-wise. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's sort of, it just made me think of that as we were, as I was contemplating this. So how do you guys feel about the rest of this? I know I kind of rambled through the, the, the other three sections or four sections of the song, but. Uh, as much as, I mean, I, I, I may not like, the beginning of this as quite as much as you guys do but I, I really appreciate the the sort of hills and valleys in this song and sort of coming to a climax on angels on earth i think it's done really well and i think the the reprise is very effective from from murder machine i know i mentioned this before but i mean i i think that it's a great way to end an album yeah. And you really feel satisfied. And so anything that I, I might have not been super thrilled about earlier in, in care, uh, I'm, they've, they've won me over at, at the end. They, they, they really gave us something big at the end here. So uh, they, they finish on a high note for me. Awesome. Absolutely love it. To my point of, of, of speaking in the obvious and, and doing it with heart, this is where H lays it all on the line. 
uh, angels in this world are not in the walls of churches. Heroes in this world are not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it just shows how the essential workers are somehow essential, but also expendable. It, it, it's terrifying and yet beautiful somehow all at the same time. Very well said. Yeah, I think that was one of the unexpected yet inspiring things that did come out of the pandemic, right? All of the all of the respect and admiration that was given to um, those essential workers, um, you know, whatever industry they were in, who managed to sort of, you know, keep, keep the modern world going um, and caring for sick people um, while everything was going crazy. So it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, strange in a way to to go back and visit some of these things but you know i guess it was it was inevitable that the experiences of 2020 and 2021 would not manifest themselves in this way and you know as we continue to struggle to get past that and you kind of want to you know feel like you're back to normal the fact of the matter is that's still there and it still happened and it's, um, you know, for some people, it's still very, very real. And, you know, even beyond all the other things, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the inspiration for um, for care being, you know, someone with inoperable cancer, right? I mean, that's, that's still going on. That's still a thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, you know, hopefully it brings into focus, you know, some of the some of the things that have value versus some of the things that maybe have less, which again is something that Steve's been trying to tell us for some time. I, I stumbled across some research that's now finally being cobbled together um, about the effects of deaths of the pandemic and long COVID and whatever other consequences there are. But essentially we have high employment now at the expense of losing talented, skilled workers along the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, the, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get away from those sorts of, of impacts. Indeed. All right. So I feel like that was kind of a heavy way to, uh, to end what was really a great episode. I've, I've really enjoyed getting into, um, you know, these, these newer albums and things that we haven't been listening to for 20 years and, and sort of, you know, challenging ourselves in a lot of ways to, to figure out what these records are about. And so very happy to have you gentlemen along for this, because I think this was a, a really engaging discussion. Um, you know, much like this record, maybe not what I was anticipating originally, but it, it's certainly worth having. So look forward to that. Next episode, we will do one of two things. Um, I think we're probably going to do the the latest, you know, keeping with our current trend. We'll probably do the latest release from King's X, Three Sides of One. And I think after that, we should then um, consider one of our all-time favorites here at the Palaver, even though it, again, is 
um, not quite as aged as some of the things that we listen to, and that, of course, would be Dimensionaut by Sound of Contacts. So we got those things to look forward to. Gentlemen, as always, um, very much enjoy your time here this evening. Any closing thoughts before we go? You know, one thing um, that I, I did learn about is that the orchestra was the same orchestra that they played with um, that, that they played with in on the Friends of the Orchestra album. Cool. And uh, you know, I think these guys are great. And not to end on you know a, a down note, but I, I would have loved to hear more of them. Actually, I mean, I, I really think that um, there is room to to bring some of those hills and valleys that I. You know, I, I, I brought up earlier to, to really bring out some of the um, dynamics. And, you know, when you bring an orchestra in, um, I think an album like this would have benefited from a more, not just the accents, like not using an orchestra just as accents, but, you know, really having, you know, really having fun with them. And, uh, you know, I, again, it's a, it's a great production. This album is a great production. And I just, I would love, and this is a, a wish list for, you know, things that I, I hope to come. If they, if they use an orchestra and, and new material, uh, I would love them to spend a little bit more time incorporating the orchestra in with the band a little bit more. And, and, and when I say orchestra, I'm also talking about the choir because I mean, there's, there's some, some choir stuff in here that worked. I mean, when they have it in here, it's great. Huh. I mean, I, 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 I love it. I just, when they do something, they just wet my whistle and I want to hear more <laughs> of it. So, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, so, so I'm, Tom, is it, is it safe to say you enjoyed the orchestration here more than you did in the quest? Mm. <laughs> I don't like anything about the quest. Oh, <laughs> stop it. I, I really, the quest, the quest it's is got hands some down beautiful the worst songs. I'm no, just, I'm just rest. playing. I'm playing. <laughs> I'm not. Right. I'm serious. Right. Well, 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 Tom. I'm going to petition your effort to turn Marillion into Adam Hart mother. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to, uh, gonna have to object to that one. But uh, I am a fan. I, I mean, I'm a huge Mark Kelly fan and a huge pete fan and 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 there's this amazing um pulse and foundation and and almost like the the waves of the ocean that kind of rumble through here and i i feel like you know i feel like my mark kind of sets this progression this feeling out there and then they all come in and kind of match it, and and this is just a it it it's not a marbles type album, but it's just the next level of the marbles formula. Yeah, and and, and I I love that that guy whatever his name is who comes in and guests on guitar. He's just fantastic. <laughs> all right, Let's excellent. All right. Well, thanks, gentlemen. Look forward to next week. Talk a little King's X. It'll be great, and we'll move on from there. Thanks, guys. Sweet. Awesome. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is ProgPala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.